Are you ready to take a moment to, to, to clear your heart and your mind and, and, and pray to get ready to receive the word of God? It's the most important thing in the world. Did you know that? There is nothing more important than the word of God for your life. That's the one thing along with the spirit of God that dwells within us. Those two things is what he left for us to be able to walk in this world with. And so we prepare our hearts and our minds. Say your prayer and I'll close this out. Father, we've woke up this morning to a day in which you've created. And we said within our hearts, today is a day that the Lord has made and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Father, we came here to worship you and to praise you. And we've, we've sang these songs and we're giving you words of testimony and praise of what you've been doing amongst the body of Christ. And the activities that, that we're trying to help do to be your ministers and your ambassadors in this world. And so, Father, now, for us, we take a moment to worship you through your word. We want to open up the bread of life that you have given to us. We want to feast upon that manna from heaven this morning, Father. And as we, as we open it up and as we go through your words this is the mind of Christ. It says that the word of God is the mind of Christ. This is God breathed. And we're supposed to take it in like breath. This is like the breath of God that came into us when you created us and gave us life. These are the words of life. And in breathing, you take it in. We take in your breath and your word. And it brings us life. But then what you've taken in. You have to give back out. And so now we give that back out to you. In service. And in the life that we live. And the worship that we give. And the praise. So Father may our worship to you this morning. Be acceptable in your sight. May we as your servants do your will. And Father be with us. Open up these words to us. Help us to understand them and to know that they are not just written to be fairy tales. They are not written just to be something to, to read. But every one of these is written to give us life and everything that we need to prosper in this life and in godliness and worship to you. And so, Father, may you make it real to us. May it become faith within us. And may we serve you all our days. Thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Whew. We've been really opening up some stuff. We're talking, if I had to sum it up, what we're really talking about is God's creation. Who God is, what he's created, and what that means for us in this life as we go about it. We have been learning from the beginning that, that God is eternal and that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the only things that are eternal.
And that means that they had no beginning and no end. Everything else that is in this world or in that realm that's unseen that we don't know about as of yet. All of those things are created things that come from the breath of God or from his word when he speaks and it comes. He calls those things into being which are not as if they were and he just calls them in. When he says let there be light, there was light. And let there be stars and let there be these things. Those things came into existence by his word. The most powerful thing that there is. But God always was. There never was a time that he hasn't been. He is. He says, I am the one who is, who was, and who is to come. So he always was, he is, and he always will be. And he's coming back. And I've said a couple of times that normal may not ever come back. But Jesus is coming back. <laughs> so we got to be ready for that. But the Godhead is the only thing that's eternal. So, and they are one in essence. And we tried to explain this one thing about how there's three in one. And it's like the egg. And you got the shell, the white, and the yolk. And all three of them are three distinct parts of an egg. But they are all the egg. And so I tried to put a little chart up here for us to kind of help us understand that as the egg is one in its essence of a shell. And have you ever had any of your chickens lay an egg without the shell? As, as the chicken gets ready to be old enough to lay an egg. The first egg probably doesn't have a shell. And then maybe the second egg only has a membrane. I've, I've had two of those this week. And I thought all of my chickens were mature and healthy. And feed them them oyster shells. But I've had two eggs that I had to toss over because all it is is like the membrane around it, but there was no shell. It's like a little rubber ball that can just be easily punctured. So to have the fullness of the egg when it comes from the chicken, the one in essence is the egg shell, the white, and the yolk. And all three of those can be broken down. And so God is like that egg that's all one in essence. God, what makes God God is those things up there. God is sovereignty. God is righteousness. He is justice. He is love. He is eternal life. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. He's immutable in veracity. And you say, what does all that mean? Well, just as he had to send Jesus Christ to this earth. It was because as God, he's eternal life. He can't die on a cross for us. So he had to send his son born of a virgin to become a human so that he could die upon the cross for our sins. God is immutable. He couldn't change that. Immutable means God does not change. There's no shifting with him. There's no change. He, he is who he is and he doesn't change who he is or he wouldn't be God. Veracity means he tells the truth. Everything in his word and everything that he does is based on the veracity of truth. And that's why when it says the things that fight against each other on that for our sake is love, justice, righteousness, sovereignty, and eternal life. Because God as being sovereign means he reports to no one. The Godhead reports to nothing. He is the top. That's what our lesson is going to be about today is the structure, if we had to sum it up, the structure of his created things and the things that are such as us, the church, but what we're going to delve into is the creation 
of his beings that are called angels. And what, what we're going to do is start going in. We're going to take the, the, the devil's side first because you always save the best for last, right? So, so we got to get him out of the way. It's like, okay, on my plate, I got broccoli. I better get something that's even worse. You got, you got squid or escargot or something like that. And then you got mashed potatoes and gravy with, with a little bit of good stuff on it, like some kind of little roast beef or something, like a Manhattan. And then you've got your cheesecake or your favorite dessert. Well, we're starting with the escargot first, because if you've got to eat it, you've got to get that out of the way first, right? And then we're going to move on to the better things, the angels, and then who, the, the, the elect angels. And then we're going to move to, to God and who and what He is. But for us, knowing that we were going to fall, God in His sovereignty had to make a plan. He is the only one that could come up with that. In His omniscience, which means He's all-knowing, He knew we were going to fall. He knew that He had to devise a way for man to be drawn back to Him. Sin is the thing that separated us from that. So the righteousness and justice of God could not have fellowship with sin. But the love of God wanted to have fellowship with us. Even though we were going to fall. So the love, righteousness and justice had to get together to make a plan. So that God could call man back to him. And that was the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. His son Jesus Christ. And so that's. That's how all of that, and omnipotent means that he is the most powerful one. And omnipresent just means he's everywhere. Those things are the characteristics or the essence. I call them the essence box in there of God. And that's what makes God, God. None of us have those things. We are not sovereign, righteous. We're not eternal life. We're not everywhere. We're none of those things. But then the word of God also breaks down Elohim which is God in the plural or one in essence to Jehovah, which separates him out throughout the Bible as, as Lord. And so sometimes it's Jehovah God the Father. Sometimes it's Jehovah God the Son and Jehovah the, the Holy Spirit. Each one of these have their own roles within the essence of God that they did. The Father is the planner, kind of the overseer. The Son executed the plan. The Holy Spirit regenerates and brings life. The work of the Holy Spirit and Gary and Tanya setting up there. I know they're going, none of this is written down. <laughs> hey, this is just what I'm being moved to talk about right now. Genesis 1 verse 2, when God created the heavens and the earth. That's the only verse that talks about creation. We're, we're going to get there in a couple of weeks. I want to teach you everything about creation and what really happened. Verse 2 is like after the earth had became tohu wavohu or, or void and without form and, and all of these things. And then it says that there was darkness upon the face of the deep. But the Holy Spirit of God began to move upon the waters. The word for move is not that's incubate. And I'm going to explain all of that when we get there. But it's an intense term. But the Holy Spirit was preparing this earth for us. He had to prepare it anew for us, for our life on this earth. And he began that by regenerating 
the earth from where it was null and void and a wasteland and the darkness upon the face of the deep. And he begins his work of taking something that's hopeless and helpless and can't save itself. And he begins regenerating and bringing life into that to where it can have light and where it can have trees and grass and then animals and fish and then us. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is the revealer and the regenerator in salvation. And that's the promise that's given to us when we're born again and we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And so all of these created beings then, angels are real. God is real. The Lord Jesus Christ is real. The Holy Spirit is real. And His creation is real. Jesus spoke constantly about the evils of the devil he 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 was tempted by him he mentioned him over and over again they are real they are real beings there was one there are elect angels you got michael and you got gabriel and you've got all of these other helper angels but then on the other side you had one who was an elect angel as well as he was created it was lucifer son of the morning and he fell in his pride and, and in his desire to be worshipped as God and to override the system of God. And he fell. And now that is the mortal enemy of God. He not only took part of God's holy elect angel creation away from the heavenly realm and from God. But the battle is here on this earth that he is battling God for each one of us. Every individual who lives on planet earth is in a battle over their eternal, their everlasting So The word is everlasting for us because once we come into being, we are everlasting. Only God was eternal, so we've got to make sure that I won't get caught up in that. So, but in this creation, when, when the Godhead began planning and executing and regenerating and making life, there has to be structure. God has an order and a structure when he begins to do something. He is the God of order, it says. He is not a God of chaos. And so there is an order and there's a, a structure to things as we go. We, we have a broad spectrum of this as we begin going through there. We, we saw last week kind of a little bit of this because we introduced the idea from Hebrews chapter 2 that in a certain place, they testified that the psalmist said in the Psalms, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would even visit us? Why did you even think about us? Why is Christ coming? Thou made him a little lower than the angels. That's, the, that's one of the key verses. But you've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of the hands. <clears throat> Thou hast put all things into subjection under the feet that he put it all under... You left nothing that's not under him, but now we don't yet see all things under him. There's a time when it will be, but it's not yet. But we still see Jesus. We still know that it's coming. We see Jesus who was made. God couldn't die on the cross, so he was made a little lower than the angels. He came in human form for one purpose, to suffer death so that he could be crowned with glory and honor and by the grace of God, taste death for every one of us. So we have that Godhead, the highest form. And then he's talking about the created beings, the angels. Those are next in line, in hierarchy, from God's creation. So there's God as God, 
And then he's got angels. And they're going to veer off into a couple of categories of those. And then you have man over here. And we veer off into some categories. One of those categories. But Christ was lower than the angels. And that's how we know that pecking order. That there was God. And then he's got his angels who are a little more powerful and knowledgeable and things than we are. And then there's us. He made man a little lower than the angels. And so then we find in Ephesians chapter 5 that we have categories for you and I as well. Just as he had for, for those angelic beings, he has it for us. There is an order to everything and not chaos. There's a head and a subjection to everything. With us, it's the family unit. And it says that the first in line is God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit as God. And then there is mankind. And when we get to man, you have man as set over as the head of the household. And then next in line was the woman. And lastly, the children that are born under the family of man. Now, this was the plan, the design from the planner. And it was executed in creation in the garden. And it goes forth from creation to eternity. On through until this earth is over. And, and at that last time, then we become as the angels. So in Ephesians chapter 5, a great mystery is revealed to us there. And it says this. We're going to give thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we pray in the name of the Lord unto the Father. We submit yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. As unto there's a spiritual and a physical head. And the husband, who is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. There's the physical and the spiritual realms. So, as, as he is the head of the church, and he is also the savior of our body. He's also our physical head as well. Therefore, as this church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love your wife as himself and the wife that you reverence your husband. And then it just goes right into children. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. That's the first commandment with a promise of long life, that it might be well with thee, and you live long upon your earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of the admonition of the Lord. He says, I'm revealing a great mystery here. The spiritual life... Is, is the same as our physical life when you're in Christ Jesus. And the, the Lord and God is, is our heads. And then God designed it. Now, I'm an, I didn't write this. This is God's plan. I am teaching us what God says so that we might enjoy life a little better. If things would work the way they're supposed to, life would be so good. My father-in-law likes to say, boy, it's, it sure is swell when everything's well. <laughs> but when it ain't, it ain't, right? And uh, the thing is, how does Christ love the church? He gave himself for it. He gave up heaven. 
He gave up being worshipped as God. He gave up everything to come and to die, to be subjected to all kinds of vile things just so that he could save us because he loved us that much. Husbands, if we, speaking of self, love our wives, as he says, in the way that Christ loves the church, are we perfect as the church? (laughs) Do we always do what we should be doing? No. So, but he loves us anyway, doesn't he? He So, if you would love your wife the same way that Christ loved the church and gives up of himself for it, you're going to be happy. And what, and what that does, what I, what I want to get to in a few weeks and to cover in when we get to the creation of man and woman, I want to show you that God, here's a little teaser for you guys. God made woman to be a responder to the male. He made the woman to be the responder. You don't respond if to someone who is not treating you well. I don't care if, if you're any kind of a pet or any kind of a thing. You usually respond better to someone who treats you well. That's just a law of love. So husbands, when you love your wife, then she responds back through that. She is a responder to that. So and we'll, I'll get deeper on that when we teach it. There's a lot of things that goes into that. Even, even dreams, like in Joseph's dream, the father was the sun and his mother was the moon and the kids were the stars. The sun is light form. Moon is a reflector. But I get ahead of myself. But this is the way it was designed from God from the beginning. And when it, when it works in that synergy that we love our wives that way and the wives then respond to that back and show that love back, Man, it works really great. And then the pair as a team raise family. And then the kids are brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And they see the way that it's supposed to operate. That's the biblical order and design. And it's also referenced again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Where Paul tells them, be ye followers of me even as I am of Christ. So he's setting the example of the way it's to be, but his example was Christ. So when you see me, you're seeing Christ. I'm walking in his way. And I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all the things that I've tried to show you and to be an example and keep the ordinances that I delivered to you. But I want you to know, he says in verse 3, that the head of the man is Christ. The head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So in these passages, we see that God is a God of order, even from the heavenly realm, even from the God realm of Christ coming as a man and submitting himself unto that. And this is the way that the design is, and the authority for the church and for the home as well. And it is the word of God. And and I put on here for my sake. And I'll share with you what I wrote to me because I highlighted it in bold to me. No one, nobody has ever been given any authority to change or to alter or to deviate from what is written in the word of God. It is the Lord's church. It is referenced as his body. He is the head of it. He died and purchased it with his blood. And I 
do not have any authorization to change anything that he has given in its design. I need to remember that. The Godhead then is first in this order. And then the created beings. And we saw that angels was next. So we'll, we're going to take angels next in line. And like I said, I wanted to go into some more stories of what angels do like we did last week. I was going to continue on in some of those things. But man, after I was done writing, I had to delete about four pages because I had wrote 18 pages concerning what the demonic realm and chain of command was like. So that's what we're covering today. And I thought, well, let's get, let's get the escargot out of the way. So we're going to deal with, we, we saw last week, we was introduced to Lucifer in, in Ezekiel chapter 28, if you remember, and how that he was a created being and how beautiful he was and perfect in all of his ways until iniquity was found unto him. Well, we, we see him now in Revelation chapter 12. So we're going to start there. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9, it says this about him. There was a war in heaven. So I want you to start seeing the structure of the demonic realm. There was a war in heaven. And Michael, you see, there's, a, there's an angel there. This war that took place, there's Michael, the archangel of God. This is God's warrior angel and protector of Israel. Michael, the archangel, and his Angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought back with his angels, and he prevailed not. Neither was there any more place found for him in the heavenly realm. Now I want you to look at what the Bible describes him as. And that great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, the serpent from old all the way back in Genesis 3, who is called the devil and Satan, and he deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels cast out with him. There you see that this war took place and the devil had pulled a bunch of angels through his merchandising as it was talked about in Ezekiel. His interactions with them saying, hey, wouldn't you rather follow me? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this stuff for you, wouldn't you? So he garnered through his transactions, his conversations with these beings to, to lead a revolt. And Michael, the archangel of God, God put him in charge. See, God didn't even have to handle it. God's over all of these and didn't even have to step in because he gave more supremacy to Michael, his warrior angel. And they fought against the dragon who is called... Now, the devil and Satan is monikers that tells what he does against us. It, they, they battled, they did not repent. Prevail, but what he wants to do from the beginning is to deceive and to be worshipped. And that's where we find our trouble. In there. He wants to be worshipped and he wants to deceive every one of us into worshipping him. But he was cast down to earth and his angels with him. So there was a whole bunch of them that's cast out to cause havoc with you and I and the church. Especially the church. He causes it with the whole world, but it's really the heated parts with us. You know why? Because we're in Christ. And he can't stand Christ. And those of Christ should be like Christ and not stand him. There ain't no place found in heaven for him. So why should it be found in my home as well, right? You get rid of him. He's out. So the battle was fierce all the way up until the last day it's going to be fierce but there's going to come a day when the judgment will come that they will be removed 
from all of the created realms except one place, and that's the lake of fire. And Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 25. The, the main verse is 41, and we like to use this, this section of Scripture in this parable in Kairos whenever we go into prisons because it talks about how that, you know, you saw me and you didn't help me. I needed food, I needed clothes, I needed water, and you said, be gone with you. And when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. And so Jesus used that as a reference of those who are really looking to follow him and stuff and what your actions would be. Just like Paul said, if you've seen me, follow me because I'm following Christ. But Christ says to those who, who never knew him, he said that, and to those demonic beings that have been cast out, that the fires of hell were prepared for the devil and his angels. The same folks that we just saw in Revelation 12 that has been cast out and are battling against it. That this has been prepared for them and it's waiting until this cosmic battle is over with. And that those who reject Jesus as Savior are children of the devil and will also spend eternity in the lake of fire with him. So I pray that nobody that's here today has rejected the Lord, but everyone has accepted him so that we don't end up in that lake of fire. So Satan and his angels. So now we're starting to see the hierarchy, this order that I was talking about now in the created beings. Not only of us as we just saw, but now even the angelic realm has an order to things. Satan and his angels. He's got a bunch of powerful vile, ugly servants that are spiritual beings of him that are trying to do his will. And most of the time they're broken down and looked at as a military rank, just like in Ephesians chapter 6. That's one of our most well-known chapters and one of them that we've talked about. A lot of you pray these things, a lot of you quote this and, and you do this. That's where we're encouraged to put on the whole armor of God so that we can withstand the wiles of the devil. But put it on and we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against, and this is where we get to see the order of the military army that's against us of Satan and his angels. And it says that we don't wrestle, don't think that your battle is with each other and with people. It's not. It's the motivation behind that that is within this world from the principalities, the powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Number one, principalities. It's the word RK, where we get like the archangel. RK means top, the head, chief. Uh, the starting point. So you've, you've got Satan and he's got a starting point in his commanders underneath of him like, like the uh, chairman that we have in the, in the uh, military with the four-star generals and the admirals from the places. He's got the RKs with him. And then he's got number two, the powers, exousia. These are ones that, that are underneath the counselors that are going out like your your colonels and, and your lieutenants, and these are going out. They have been granted power from the higher power to act in their realm, to, to go out and to perform these things and to motivate the rest of the troops to do that. Number three, the cosmocratos. That's like your sergeants all the way up through those type of things. Cosmo is like this world system, and 
cosmopolitan or cosmetics. Did you know that that comes from this word right here? And what it means is to, to have everything in order. Ladies, do you know that cosmetics means that you're putting yourself into an order? That whenever that talks about the cosmetology of the earth, it's the way the earth was put into order. This is the next order. This is the military boots on the ground part of it. The cosmocratos. Cosmo, the orderly of it. Kratos is the power behind it. The, the crowder. So you've got the power then of the boots on the ground. And then the spiritual wickedness in high places. And the rulers of darkness. That's skotos. And the spiritual evil forces. This is a darkness that's darker than dark. It's devoid of all light. So the minions, the privates, the, the corporals, the ensigns, these are like, these here, it says that they have a darkness to them that is devoid of light. So there is no light at all. They are dark. And they are doing the bidding of those that stand above. That's the demonic chain of command of their forces. That they have. Now I'm going to go deeper on what they do. In an upcoming lesson. I'll probably do it in line with the guy at the Gadarenes. Whenever Jesus crosses over to the Sea of Galilee. And comes into the land of the Gadarenes. And the man with the legion of demons comes into him. And when we might get into this there. But right now I'm still working on our chain of command our structure of things so in revelation 9 we get another glimpse of some structure of things so we got satan who's been cast out of heaven he's got a bunch of angels but underneath of him we've got at least three active and inactive categories of angels that he has underneath of him first one will be revealed here in revelation chapter 9 when the fifth angel of god sounds his trumpet and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth. And unto him was given. So in other words, when it says it's given, who holds all the keys? Jesus does. Right there in the beginning of Revelation, he says, I hold all the keys. I, I open doors and no one can close. I close doors, no one open. And I have the keys of death and Hades and life. So he has the keys. So he took the key. And it was given to the angels to give, unto this, to give to the star that falls from heaven. The angelic being the messenger of God. He has the key to the bottomless pit. And inside that bottomless pit, when he opened it up with that key that it was given to him by the authority of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. I always liken that to these volcanoes that erupt and the smoke that comes up out of it. And out of the bottomless pit, this smoke arose as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of that pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power. See, they didn't have the power, but it was given unto them during this time as the scorpions of earth have power. And it was commanded them. You see, they're still under, even though you have Satan as supposedly that head, he is still under subjection of God, just as we are. He is under that subjection as well. He is still bound by the restraining arm of God. And so it was given and commanded him that they don't hurt the grass or the green things of the earth, nor any tree, but only those. 
that do not have the seal of God on their forehead. Aren't you glad you've got the seal of God on your forehead? When you, were, when you by faith believed in Jesus and that blood that purchased you, and you says, I imitate that in the death, burial, or resurrection of Jesus Christ for my sins. I do it there when I die to self and I'm buried in the water and I'm resurrected as a new creature in Christ. I'm given the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to find out in a minute that He seals us. Unto the day of our inheritance and our redemption. So we've got the seal of God upon us. But those who are not of God have a seal of the enemy upon them. And it says you only have the ability to hurt those that do not have the seal of God upon their forehead. And then down in verse 11, as it would continue, it says... And they, that's these ones that came out of that pit, these ones that are like scorpions that's getting ready to go out and harm the world, they had a king over them. So you see, they got structure. They got structure and they got order and they've got an ordinance. So it says that they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. So this is the one of all of them, and he's their king. And his name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon. And in the Greek tongue, it's Apollyon. And both of those words mean the destroyer. Jesus said that the devil comes to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy. And here's his destroyer, Abaddon, Apollyon, number one. But I want you to notice that currently, so underneath Satan, I said that there's three different realms right now. One is in a bottomless pit. Locked up until this time in Revelation 9 comes forward. They are locked up, chained up, and they can't do anything. Their anger and their seething vileness is just waiting for the time that they're going to get permission to get unchained and to come out and to cause harm on the earth. And the leader of the group is Abaddon or Apollyon, and he's got a multitude of those that are right now locked up. These aren't the ones we're fighting today. They'll fight that in the tribulation. But that's a group, number one. Underneath him, you see, Satan has an unholy trinity too. He's got, the, he's got himself. He's got Abaddon. And then he's got the beast and the false prophet that's going to end up coming, which is the world's system of governance and religion that will be coming up through there. So he's got an unholy trinity the same way that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the holy trinity of God. So he imitates God in everything that he does in his structure as well. And so here is one of them. This is Abaddon and his angels who are the cosmocratos and the, the arche underneath of Satan in one realm. Then there's another category. In a couple of weeks, I don't know, three, four maybe, if we get to Genesis chapter 6, I thought we was going to be closer today than what we are. But if we, when we get to Genesis chapter 6, we're going to show that Noah and the flood was not a Sunday school little thing where you just see the animals go in two by two in, into the ark. There's a reason why God had to destroy his creation. It pained him. So much to have to do that. There is a reason behind that. And the reason was it says in Genesis 6. We'll go deep into it then. But in Genesis 6. Angels became disobedient to the will of God. When it says the sons of God saw the daughters of men. 
and that they were fair and that they desired them and they took Lachak, they took unto them those that they wanted and they had relationship with those, the sons of God, these angelic fallen beings had, had relationship with the daughters of men and it was born unto them. And if you got a King James Bible, it will say children, but it's in italicis. And anything that's in italics in the King James Version, at least they let you know that that wasn't in the Scripture in the original language. That is a word they have inserted to help you understand what it was. But that's not what it says in the original. In the original, it just says living beings. Because they were not children. They were a cross-section of human with these fallen angels. And at that time, when that happens, they... They disobeyed God. They disobeyed the first time in heaven and rebelled against God. And God had to throw them out. And God, when he did, said, just like he told Job, you can't have him, but you can, you can try to influence the things around him, but you can't have him. God said the same thing evidently in the beginning because it says that they transgressed the word of God. So for the second time now they were disobedient. Not only when they rejected God in the heavenly realm and being under God. But now when God said you cannot cross over and do this with mankind. It says up there in Jude. Got to get to where it's at. Boy I don't even know where I'm at. There it is. In Jude verse 6. The angels, so this is the time period of Genesis 6. The angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. So estate is the realm that God has put them in, in these three heavens, to be able to go about, like the devil said, walking to and fro among the earth and up and down in it. God has given them the ability to be in this estate, this realm, and then they left their own habitation, and I will get into that deep, but that means that they took off the type of body that they had and put on another one. Just as one day that the word's only used twice in the Bible, like one day when it says that you and I are looking to be unclothed in 2 Corinthians 5 from this body and clothed with our new body, our new resurrection. That's the second time, the only two that this is word habitation as it's put here is but they left their habitation they took off what they were and somehow was able to have that those that disobeyed God the second time it was so severe this time it was so severe of what they did it says that those angels that didn't keep their estate and they left their habitation he reserves them to everlasting chains under darkness unto the day of judgment these angelic beings who were doing the bidding of Satan as his arches and as his cosmocrators and as his ones of darkness, they decided to do this. And God says, I have put you in everlasting chains under darkness to the day of judgment. How do we know it's that? Because Peter, in referencing the same thing in 2 Peter said two, in chapter 2, said... If God did not spare the angels that sinned. So that means to sin means to go against the word. So that means they had been told a word. And what not to do and they did it. So that was sin. Sin is to miss to mark. So they kept not their first estate. They sinned. They didn't listen to the word of God given. So God cast them down to hell. Delivered them into the chains of darkness reserved for judgment. The same words used in Jude. 
And, but he also did not spare the ancient world. Everything in the world was destroyed because of what they had done, because the genetic line had went through all of the other people except for eight. But he saved Noah, one of eight, the preacher of righteousness, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly. And so then he says this, since God was able to put these that sinned into a prison forever and to hold them unto the day of judgment, they will never see the light of day. They will never enjoy freedom again. They will go directly from that pit of gloomy darkness chained. They will go directly to judgment and to the lake of fire. They will never again have any freedom at all. And it says, then the Lord, but he spared Noah. So the Lord, in verse 9, knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and trouble and to reserve the unjust under the punishment of the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to flesh and lust of uncleanness, and you despise authority. And you're going to find that all. God has the authority. God has set the order of things. He's left it through his word. And those that despise the authority and the word of God. He says he knows how to separate those from those who are following the will of God. And he gives us a little clue here that the angels are so powerful. That even we people and it's not us but especially those who are not Christians. Speak so foul not only of people but also of God and of angelic beings. And it says here that that means that you are so presumptuous and self-willed that you are not even afraid to speak evil of these dignitaries of God that are higher than you. Even the angels of God who are greater in power and might than we are, they don't dare bring any reviling accusation against them from the Lord. And that's a fascinating passage. But the thing is now we've seen two sections of Satan's army. Two out of the three sections are in chains right now. One under Abaddon to be released in the tribulation and the time comes when the key is given. But the other set will never be released because of what they did to this earth and that God had to cause the flood to come to destroy those genetic lines of them. So they were double disobedient. And then you have the third section. And that's the ones that we just saw in Ephesians chapter 6 that's after us today. The ones that's underneath Satan and underneath of his order of things. There's millions or billions it could be of angels that are that. How do we know? Because they're, they're as the stars of heaven. One of the verses that we'll cover in a week or two says that they're an innumerable so you can count into those other ones. We have that. But this is a numeral. It goes past that. So all of these now are out walking around like we saw in Job 1 and 2 when it says that they're going up and down and walking to and fro in this earth. These are here. They are here to deceive and to lead astray. To some people, they can do it with, with being an imitator of light. And to try to lead them with sweetness and kindness into hearing and believing their lie and leading you from God. And, and those are the folks that thinks everything's rosy and they're good folks. But then there's some that have to be just tormented to get to following that way. And you can be demonized. Point number two on why you want to be a Christian. 
Those in Christ have the Holy Spirit within them. I'm going to show you that in a minute. And when we do, we cannot be indwelt by a demon. You saw in the days of Christ, and we'll go there whenever we get to the man at the Gadarenes, but you saw that there was many times that people were indwelt and so influenced and had them be possessed and having those living in them. Non-Christians can because they don't have the Holy Spirit of God within them. But we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. And we're going to find out that greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. So the Holy Spirit cannot have residence with a demon. So the demon cannot take up residence. He can influence us with everything around us. But he cannot enter us, possess us, and take control. So praise God. Thank you for that hedge of protection of the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. And that's another reason why you want to be in Christ Jesus and make that commitment this day if you have not done that. So he's, they're going about this earth. They are trying to lead and deceive everyone away because they hate God. They've always been at war with God now. And they want, they want to take us away from God and to join them in what they're going to be having to do. What we do, here's where I want to take you for a moment and, and leave this hierarchy. But I want to show you about the Holy Spirit being with us. We, though, that he's dwelling within us, we can grieve him and we can quench him. And I want to share those two scriptures with you. In Ephesians chapter 4, when, when we begin to walk carnally and we, we start saying, ah, I'm too busy, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to stay walking in this, I'm going to do my own thing for a while, and we like sheep go astray. We can do two things with that Holy Spirit that's within us. We can grieve Him and we can quench Him. So the first one, grieving, um, the, the Holy Spirit is taught in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, and starting in 27, we're warned, don't give any place to the devil. Don't give him a foothold to have in your life. Don't do those things. If you stole, still no more. Rather, labor, work with your hands. Do that which is good. Give to those who are in need. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Only that which is to the use of edifying. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because <laughs> people make you mad all the time. Other things make you mad all the time. And... He says, but wait, hold back now. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Don't let the corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Only things that edify and minister grace unto the hearer. That's a hard one, but Lord, I'm going to believe you and I'm going to do it. Verse 30, and thereby don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed. Didn't I tell you you had the seal of God on you? Don't hurt anyone. With the seal of God. Only those who don't have the seal of God upon their forehead. You have been sealed unto the day of redemption. Notice, unto that day you've been sealed. So don't grieve him in the way you live your life. In the way you treat one another. Let all your bitterness and wrath and anger. And evil speaking and clamoring that you do. Put it away from you. And all your malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgiven you. I wasn't worthy of it, but Christ did it anyway. That's what we just talked about a little bit ago when we opened. So he says, you're supposed to follow me 
Paul said, who is following Christ? And this is the way Christ was. Tender-hearted, forgiving, even as Christ has forgiven you. So the way we act, the way we walk in this life, the way we treat each other can give a foothold to the devil. And when that does, we are giving in to that influence and we are grieving the Holy Spirit. And that word for grieve is intense pain. It means a deep emotional sadness and pain that comes upon him. Did you know that the Spirit of God that lives within us, when we grieve him, when we do these things, it grieves him. And I can see it when I see it in, in folks in the world, and I can feel it when I do it too. I can feel like, you know how you want to kind of crawl back for a minute away from that? Like, man, that's just not right. Ooh, that's scorching. That's the Holy Spirit being grieved in the body. You're feeling him giving you that message. The next thing you do is can quench him. You know, when you got a campfire going and you're getting ready to, to leave, they want you to quench all of the fires. So you can pour a bucket of cold water on him. He could be working in your life and be just hot like fire. And then we can quench him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 14 through 18, it says, I exhort you, brethren, and warn them that are unruly, but comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient toward all men. See that no one of you render evil for evil unto anyone, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. And therefore, you'll be able to rejoice evermore. I want you to be praying without ceasing. And you ever had one of those coughs that like every five, ten minutes you're like, <clears throat> and you got to clear your throat and cough. And then a minute later, <clears throat> he said, that's the way your life is in talking with God. You should be every, everything you're doing every few minutes. It's like, thank you, Lord, for that. Oh, Lord, I'm glad you didn't bring that. Thank you for my food. Oh, keep me from that, Father. So your, your relationship through God through that prayer life is like a hacking cough. Every couple of minutes, it's constantly reminding you of who you are and, and who you your are. You are God's. And then he says this, in everything, give thanks. He didn't, he didn't say in the good things, <laughs> in the things it's okay. He said, in everything, give thanks. Hammer falls on my toe instead of saying some wordy dirds. I, I got to go, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, and just, just give thanks for everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And when you can do this, you will quench not the Spirit of God that's within you. So this is, this is how we fight the battle with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that He has left us with. And that, if we do not quench or grieve Him... We are with a, able to put on the armor of God and withstand the fiery darts of the wicked one who is throwing them our way. So now, in 1 John 4, 4. So therefore, he's within us. He sealed us. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that way, if you follow that, he's not going to get to you. So now, back. That's, that's separating us from the herd, okay? But now, back to... The hierarchy of things, we've seen the two that are locked up, one forever, one to be released in the tribulation, but then the ones that are active. I want to, I want to show you just one. I, I was getting into number two and number three, and I had to take those back because I'm already getting ready to go overboard. 
But I want to go to Isaiah 8. I, I just want to show you one of these cosmocrators, one of the powers of the world that, that's underneath of Satan's influence of where he says, here's a way I want you to deceive the people. You know, the, the one I'm getting ready to talk to you about is, is when, like with Saul, King Saul back in David's day, he was concerned about the ones who was having war with him. And he wanted to know what was going to happen to him and his family and his soldiers in that. A lot of folks, whenever a loved one passes away, and you, you want to know, man, I wonder what's going on. So a lot of folks will go to people to try to get information for that. That is a section of, of those cosmocrator demons that are underneath of Satan's rule and they're called familiar spirits in the Bible. And I just want to share that one with you before we go today. In Isaiah chapter 8, he's speaking about God's people in Israel who are not seeking his word now and his guidance in their life, but they are seeking things from other sources. And these sources are called familiar spirits. They're wizards, they're witches, they're they're fortune tellers, they're card readers, they're anything of that sort of a thing. And it says this in Isaiah 18 and verse 19. When they all say unto you, let's seek unto them that have familiar spirits. And unto the wizards that peep and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Why are you going, why are the living seeking things from the dead? And to the law and at the testimony you should be going to. But if they that you go to seek information from do not speak my word, there is no light in them and they are being led from the wrong source. What I want you to see there, familiar spirits, wizards, or witches who have a familiar spirit within them that they are in league with, and that they are able to peep and to mutter. This is the ones that I've told you about in the past, just hinting to, that are called the Av. The familiar spirit is the Av demon. It's a gastromuthos in the, in the New Testament. But what that is, is these are a certain type of demons underneath Satan's realm that have the ability... They tempt the people who become card readers, who become wizards, witches, and all of the different things. They tempt them with information, with power, with that ability, and with money to be able to do those things. And by tempting them, they are able to indwell them and to become a part of them, just like the witch at Endor. And so whenever... They give themselves over. They're basically selling their soul to have those things. The power, the influence, the different things. And so when they do, these special type of demons have the ability to speak. They're like the ventriloquist demons that can use um, you, the person who has given themselves over to it. They take in that familiar spirit just like um, Sonny. You control Sonny. The, the wizards, witches, and readers become controlled by the familiar spirit that's underneath the realm of Satan. Now, why is it called a familiar spirit? The, 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 the angelic realm is everlasting just as our souls are everlasting. And those who are here 
and going to and fro on the earth and trying to deceive us have always been here. Ever since they fell out of the heavenly realm. So they, they're not like us and they're here 70, 80, whatever years and then we move on. They have been here from start till now. They are familiar. They, they have regions and territories. And they are familiar with us. They're familiar with our families. They're familiar with our histories. Because they've always been assigned to this territory. To be familiar with everything. So whenever people go to that. They only know what they know from history. From what they have visually saw. But if you think about it. And if they're around. They know the things that are talked about. The things, the things that are revealed to them from our speech, from our activities, from our families. Those things are taken note of. And they become familiar so that people say, man, I went to that one. And they told me things about my past. They told me something about my family that only, only God could have known. No, familiar spirit has made themselves familiar. And if they can tempt the people in the area to be into subjection to them then when someone goes to them, they search out quickly who is familiar with this person and their families and they're seeking for so-and-so and that one will come and make itself known to the familiar spirit that's within the wizard and they are able to peep and to mutter things to them so that it can be heard and known. And the word of God says you stay away from such thing. This is under the umbrella of Satan. It's one of his cosmocrotters that he has. And we're given an example of that when Saul did go to the witch at Endor. She, she only runs things through that seance of what he wanted to know. God did not allow that cosmocrotter demon to work through her. The moment she sat down and said, who are you seeking? And he said, I'm seeking Samuel. And she sat down and all of a sudden she saw a vision and she squealed. She squealed like whenever you saw a big rat or a snake underneath of you. Why? Because God had taken over the seance. Things weren't going like normal and that, that familiar spirit of hers wasn't the one revealing things. Now it was God bringing up some things. And it was because it was for a purpose to show us you don't do this. Because it was told to Saul, here's what's happening Saul. Because you are seeking information from a witch... And from a familiar spirit and not from God himself. And you have not repented of your sin is the reason why God's not speaking to you. You and your children will die tomorrow. And you will be with me in this realm tomorrow. That's in First Chronicles 10. Verse 13. So Saul died for his transgressions which he committed against the Lord. Even against the word of the Lord. So the things that are written and we transgress them. We're held accountable unless we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it says against the word of God you kept not. And here's the conjunction. Also because you sought counsel of one that had a familiar spirit to inquire of it. And you inquire not of the Lord, therefore the Lord slew Saul and turned the kingdom unto David. 
It says, you sought information from the devil and his army of demons of the familiar spirit through that which you did not seek it from the Lord your God. And it says, who slew him? The Lord. I thought it was those soldiers. No, the Lord ordered it done. It, it says, the Lord slew him. And Samuel said, tomorrow, this time, you will be such as I in this realm. And he was. It was the word of God. And the word of God came to him. So don't, under any circumstance, I know things get tough and we want answers. But seek your answers through prayer, through the word of God, through his revelation to a person of God who gives you only a scriptural advice. Do not seek your answers from any other source but of God because just like we saw it and come back, man, we ain't even talked about any of the other ones or things. There's, there's goat demons, there's Baphomets, there's Baals. Man, we've just touched on Satan's things, not even got to what he does to us yet. So much more. And then we're going to go to God's good angels and then to creation and, and to God and, and to us and to the, the, how they interacted through mankind throughout all. But as our worship team comes up, you know, my daughter uh, could never go to bed after a scary movie. <laughs> if she watched a scary show, she had to put on Dumb and Dumber. I, she has watched Dumb and Dumber probably 75 times because she could not go to bed after watching something like she has to have something on that changes her mind and changes, you know, brings something funny in and that you don't dwell on that. Well, let's not leave here dwelling on all of these things of that. Let's leave dwelling on something good today. Like uh, let's, let's exchange our thoughts now to some good news in Christ Jesus so as we close, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wanted to share with them the good news. He said, I declare you the gospel of Christ by which you are saved. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that you're saved in Christ Jesus? By which we are saved and how he died for our sins according to the scriptures. There's the D. And that he was buried. There's the B. And that he rose again. There's the resurrection, the R, the DBR that we stand in and the good news. The death, the burial, and the resurrection on the third day according to the scriptures. Through that, your imitation and your faith that God and Christ did that washes you. And it says in 1 John chapter 3, Behold, why did he do it? I told you that love says my righteousness and justice had to be overcome some way. So love, I sent Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. And behold... What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that now through Christ we might be called the sons of God. And therefore, the world, this system isn't going to know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, I want you to know, He says, you are sons of God. It does not yet appear what we are going to be, but we know that when He shall appear, we will be like Him. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what we're going to look like. But it says we're going to be like him when he comes for us. And that we will see him as he is. And I think that means that we will also be seen as we have been seen. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous. 
He that committeth sin is of the devil. And for this purpose, though, because there is a devil and there is those beings underneath of him that's after us, it says, for this purpose, the Son of God came. He was made known to this world and he died so that he might destroy the works of the devil. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. He destroyed the works of the devil for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through him and be able to be called sons of God. So, Father, as we give you all praise and glory this day, we thank you that, man, we were getting a little bit these vibes of, man, how Satan has this army. But then all of a sudden we just saw that Michael and his angels can take care of him. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ took care of everything that he's trying to, to tempt us with and to get us into today. And so therefore, Father, we pray that as we go out into the walk of life from today onward, that, Father, we try to imitate the things that we read and we see and of Christ, and that we try to not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit that's within us, Father, so that by living a fullness of life in Christ, guided and led by the Holy Spirit, we quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and that we are just so thankful, Father, that even us, man that you are mindful of, lower than the angels, that you would now call us sons of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you and help us in our walk. In Jesus' name, amen.